Good morning. It's great to see you on this Father's Day. Thanks to all you dads for all you do, all we do, and appreciate you being here. We had a chance to actually just past week or so to sit and talk with some of the kids here at Grace about their dads, just ask them some questions. Here's what they had to say. So we're just going to talk about your dad. Can we do that? Can I ask you some questions about your dad? Is your dad the best dad in the world? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Watch this. Is your dad strong? Yeah. yeah. Uh, he can probably lift up a little bit of my bed, a little bit. Yeah. How strong? <laughs> Super strong. Pretty strong. He does he does fight club and he does weightlifting at a house and he got me a ball bell so I can do it with him. Can you show me how strong? Say something? Yeah, I'm asking questions. What's your favorite superhero? Mm, Wonder Woman. Um, uh, my favorite is Iron Man. Captain America. Who would win in a fight? Your dad or Captain America? Captain America. <laughs> my dad. Your dad? Yes. I think. Who would win in a fight? Your dad or Iron Man? Do you wrestle with your dad? Yes. Yeah. Who wins when you wrestle with your dad? Him. Yes. <laughs> your dad wins when you wrestle? What do you like most about your dad? Uh, he takes care of me. Does your dad ever kiss your mom? Does your dad ever kiss your mom? Yeah. yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah? Does your dad wrestle with your mom? Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> uh, well, that's awkward for all ages, isn't it? Does your dad love Jesus? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. oh, yeah. Big fan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Great being a dad, great when they're little, great when they grow up. So it's all good. Hope you have a good rest of your day. And don't forget, next week, to come back, be a part of, as Kevin starts Philippians next Sunday, and if, if you want to hear some positive stuff in this negative, crazy world that we're in, be here and be a part of the study in Philippians. Good stuff. And talking about positive stuff today as we close out Bloodline, we're talking about the ultimate sacrifice, Jesus sacrifice on the cross as he offered himself for us in payment for our sin. Last week we talked about the Old Testament sacrificial system, and today we're going to take a look at Christ's offering, an amazing gift 
for all of us, his sacrifice that encompasses really all those others that we looked at. It, it's the perfect fulfillment of all of them. It's a culmination of all those sacrifices. And if we think about those sacrifices that we looked at last week, we can see his sacrifice in all of them. You take the burnt offerings. Remember, that's the, the one where the worshiper had to come, bring the animal, kill it himself, and then they, they, they did that to make themselves right with God and satisfy his wrath. Well, Jesus' sacrifice did that for us and more. He came and he offered himself, and he died for us. And when he offered himself, Romans 5, 9 says, much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him. What he accomplished for us was providing salvation from God's wrath now and forever. We're justified. That's a legal term. It's just talking about being declared righteous. And we can be declared righteous legitimately because Jesus' righteousness was actually credited to us. So God declares every person who comes to him through his son to be righteous. So you, me, all of us who have trusted in Jesus' death on the cross as our only way of salvation, God the Father has declared us to be righteous. Doesn't mean that we're perfect, we get that. It means that God as judge has made a judgment and that judgment says we're right with him, right with God. And that's right now. We're right with God right now. Not, this isn't something we hope happens. This isn't something we think may happen someday. No, right now, we know absolutely for sure because of Jesus' blood that we are right with God. It's great to know. Great to know that the God of the universe is good with you. Sometimes I talk to people who say they don't think you can know that for sure. You can't know for sure that God's okay with you. You know, that to say that sort of sounds arrogant. You know, how can you know? How, how can you possibly say that you're right with God? Well, we all, we all fully get that on our own, all of us are messed up. You know, I, I just saw a quote yesterday, and I, I won't, I can't, I don't have the quote written down. I just read it quickly yesterday and thought, boy, that's so, so true. That when you come to Christ, what you realize is you're the worst sinner you know. When you come to Christ, you come face to the face with the fact that, that you're just a complete mess up, a complete failure spiritually. There's nothing I can do, nothing we could do to fix that situation. We're messed up. So instead of saying that we're right with God and knowing that we're okay with it, instead of that being a pride thing, it just becomes a thing where we are really, really grateful because we know we don't deserve it. It's only because of Jesus' righteousness being placed on us that we are right with him. Jesus' blood makes all the difference. Because of his sacrifice, we are good to go. We are good to go right now, and we are good to go for the future. We have this promise. What did the verse say we just talked about? 
Romans 5, 9, we shall be saved from the wrath to come. Scripture says, much more than shall we be saved from the wrath to come. He, he had just been talking about the fact that God had loved us when we were sinners. So, if, and his, his argument is, if God loved us when we were sinners, apart from him, with nothing good in us, if God loved us then, how much more then? Now that we are in his family, now that we are his children, now that he's made us right, now that he's declared us righteous, how much more then shall we be saved from the wrath to come? It's a guarantee. Not only are we right with God now, but we're right with God for the future, which tells us that we are guaranteed that we are on our way to heaven. His sacrifice did that for us. It made us right with God. His sacrifice like a burnt offering satisfy the Father. His sacrifice like a peace offering. Remember that fellowship offering that, that was made to bring God's people together? Well, there's a real sense that because of Jesus' offering, that's a done deal for us right now, that God has brought us as his children together. Of course, we know sometimes we, we've got to work on living that out but because of Christ, there's already a unique union, a unique relationship between those who know him. He's made us one. Remember when Jesus prayed for that to happen in John 17? He said, I do not ask on behalf of these alone. These alone, that's, he's talking about his disciples at that time. I don't ask for them alone. But for those who believe in me through their word, and that would include us, that they may all be one even as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. He prayed that, and he prayed that we would be one, and that prayer was answered. He prayed that we would be one as the Father and the Son are one, which is a pretty strong union, right? He prayed that we would be in that type of relationship, and that prayer was answered. First John 1, 3, John was, said there, what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also. What we have seen and heard about Jesus, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John's saying here, hey, we've got a relationship with the Father and with the Son, and that relationship is shared with all those who know him. See, what happens when we come to him is that we all become a part of this great family he brought us together. His offering was a peace offering. We get invited to the party. Remember, there was more than enough to eat, so they invited their friends. They invited the poor. They invited everybody in so that everybody could celebrate together. When we came to him, he, he provided more than enough and brought us into this great family to celebrate. We also looked at the sin offerings. Remember, they were all about the sprinkling for, for cleansing and they would, how they would sprinkle different parts of the tabernacle based on what, who had done the sin and how serious it was. Those offerings were all about the sprinkling of blood. That's what they're focused on. Well, guess what's, what gets sprinkled with Jesus' sacrifice? We do, right? We get sprinkled. First Peter 1, 1 and 2 says, those who, reside, those who reside as aliens scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, all these Christians who have been persecuted and scattered, who are chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father by the sprinkling 
by the sanctifying work of his spirit who, to obey Jesus Christ and be sprinkled with his blood. May grace and peace be yours in the fullest measure. When we came to Christ, like that Old Testament tabernacle was sprinkled, the temple was sprinkled to, to, for cleansing. We now are the temple of God, right? We are now where he lives. And when we came to him, we were sprinkled with his blood for cleansing. So we see in Christ's sacrifice what each of those Old Testament sacrifices pictured. God satisfied. There's, we have peace with God and peace with each other. And there was cleansing. And then you remember the guilt offering? That was all about paying restitution. And the best guilt offering picture I think you can find in Isaiah 53 that prophetically described the suffering of Jesus 700 years before it actually happened. But listen to the description. Isaiah 53, verse 1. Who has believed our message, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look on him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. It's talking about how as he hung on the cross. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hide their face, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening of our well-being fell upon him. And by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, and as for his generation, who considered that he was cutting off out of the land of the living for the transgression of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. Jesus hanging on the cross because of our sin, offering himself as a guilt offering in payment for our sin, making restitution for our sin. That's what his sacrifice did. Remember how with the, the guilt offering that we looked at last week, how they would, because of damage done, because of their sin, they would pay, and they would pay beyond they would make restitution and beyond for that damage. That's what Jesus' death did for us. He made restitution for us. He paid for our sin. And, and who did he pay? You know, there's this false teaching out there right now. This, I hear people every once in a while talk about this, that, that Jesus, when he, when he paid on the cross, he paid a ransom for us to Satan. That's not, that's not right. Who he paid, the one who was offended by our sin, the one whose law we broke was the Father. Who Jesus paid was his Father himself, and he paid more than enough. He paid, and he paid beyond. That's why when we come to 
Romans 5, and it talks about our sin and how sometimes our sin can abound. Paul says there, he said, then our, the grace of God, what does it do? It superabounds. It, it's more than enough. It goes beyond our sin. It always goes beyond our sin because Jesus paid more than enough. We see his death as a perfect burnt offering, satisfying the Father. Christ's death was a perfect peace offering, bringing peace between us and God and between each other. His death was a perfect sin offering, his blood cleansing us. His death was a perfect guilt offering where our debt has been paid to the Father. See, his, his sacrifice fully encompassed all those Old Testament sacrifices. And as good as those Old Testament sacrifices were, this offering is, is way better than all those. As great a picture as they gave us of what God would do through him for us, there's something better. They gave us just a glimpse of what was going to come in Jesus' offering. All that they pictured, though he actually accomplished, his sacrifice is better. And the Bible makes it clear that it's better for a number of reasons. It's better, first of all, because it's lasting. Those Old Testament sacrifices, they took care of the moment. But his sacrifice is lasting. Those Old Testament sacrifices took care of the, the sin at that time. But his last, Hebrews 9, verse 11 says, But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation, and not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood, he entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Here, the writer, he was making this point. Jesus' sacrifice is better because it's lasting. And why is it lasting? Because he entered, first of all, through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. What he did wasn't done in that physical tent that the Israelites worked in. He, he wasn't doing something here on earth. He did something in heaven. He actually went into the presence of his Father, and he's there now, and he's there eternally in his Father's presence. And that makes his sacrifice better because it's lasting. It's also lasting because he didn't offer the blood of, of an animal. No, he offered his own blood, which we know is more valuable and more powerful. As Peter put it in 1 Peter 1.18, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ, his blood, precious blood. And since it was his blood, and since he went into the presence of the Father, the result is that he obtained for all of us redemption, eternal redemption, we're told here. Eternal redemption. And it's called eternal for a reason, because it lasts. It never ends. Did, did you notice the phrase, once for all? He did this once for all, as opposed to those Old Testament sacrifices that had to be offered over and over again. 
He, he never needs to make this sacrifice again. He did it once for all. That sacrifice lasts, and so it's better. It's better because it's lasting, and it's better because it's thorough. Hebrews tells us those Old Testament sacrifices cleansed the flesh. They took care of the outward. They took care of surface stuff. But what they couldn't do is they couldn't change the heart. Jesus' sacrifice cleanses our conscience. It works all the way through us. The cleaning he gave us wasn't a surface cleaning. We aren't, we aren't talking about just changing our behavior and what we can see. He changed us from the inside out. He changed our nature. He gave us a new nature. He made us new creations. And every sin at every level was washed away. First John 1, 7 says, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin, all sin. Not just the small ones, not just the big ones, not just the ones we did unintentionally, not the ones we did rebelliously, not just the ones we did in the past, not just the ones we'll do in the future. Every sin of every kind that we've ever done or ever will do, when we trusted him, they were all washed away. Hebrews 13, 12 says, Therefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. Sanctify us. Sanctifying just means to set us apart something, set, it, set us apart from sin and set us apart to God. So Jesus' blood sanctified us. His death purified us from the pollutions of sin in a complete, absolute way. That doesn't mean we no longer sin and no longer face the effects of our sin. We do. We still sin, and we still face the effects of it here on earth. We, and, and we learn about some of those effects when looking at those Old Testament sacrifices. I mean, we learn things like that when Israel sinned, though it was still God's chosen people, it no longer enjoyed some of the benefits. Uh, and we can get to the point because of sin in our life where we no longer can enjoy some of the benefits of our salvation. For instance, the assurance of salvation. You notice I didn't say salvation itself we, because we can't lose our salvation. But we can lose that assurance of salvation, the, the, the conviction that we have, the, the, the comfort we have of knowing that we're saved. We start looking at our life and there's just all this inconsistency and all this disobedience, and it, so it makes us question. And we may lose that ability we have at that time to have the, the, that assurance that, yes, I am a believer and I'm right with God, which is actually a positive thing because it drives us back to Him. But we may lose our joy, that joy we're talking about in the book of Philippians starting next week. We may lose some of that joy when we're, we're being disobedient. We may lose some of the peace that we have as Christians. We may lose some of those benefits when we're living in a disobedient way. We also learned that the sin of Israel's leaders was considered more serious than that of of other folks, that the high priest of the nation had to offer more valuable animals than others. And so we see that sense of responsibility, that with response, 
responsibility, a greater responsibility goes a greater accountability. We see some of that in Jesus' teaching. He was talking one time about servants who were faithful and servants who weren't, and he said in Luke 12, 48, but the one who did not know it and committed deeds worthy of a flogging will receive but few. From everyone who has been given much, much will be required, and to whom they entrusted much of him they will ask all the more. See, there's a greater accountability with greater responsibility. We learned that unintentional sin is still sin in God's sight. So we need to be careful about sin done because of carelessness. We're reminded that confession is necessary. We saw that in Leviticus. We see that in the New Testament. And 1 John 1, 9 says that we confess our sins, He's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We can learn from all, all that from the Old Testament sacrifices, but His sacrifice is better. Why? Because when we sin, we know that our sin is thoroughly washed away. Sacrifice is better. It's also better because it's freeing. Those old, sac- old sacrifices weren't good enough to get full freedom into the presence of God. You know, there were still limitations as to when they could come and who could come. But with Jesus' sacrifice, all that changed. Hebrews 10, 19 says, Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Because of what Jesus did for us, we have confidence to enter the holy place by his blood. Man, that must have been something for people who had grown up Jewish at that time and, and known all that Old Testament history and thinking about the Holy of Holies and, then, and, and only being able to enter there once a year and only then the high priest and, and all the, the regulations that went there. And now the writer of Hebrews is saying, we now have confidence ourselves to enter the holy place because of what Jesus did for us. We get to draw near. Draw near to what? Draw near to God. We get to do that, not some priest doing it for us. You and I get to draw near to God because Jesus' sacrifice is better. It's the best. I mean, when you have confidence to come near to God and know that He welcomes you, that impacts every area of your life. There's not a whole lot out there that can shake you when you have free access to the living God. His sacrifice is better by far. There's no comparison. It's better because it's lasting. It's better because it's thorough. It's better because it's freeing. (coughs) And all of that is ours. Because at a point in our lives, we simply turned in by faith and trusted in his sacrifice as payment for our sin and to satisfy the requirements of God's righteous standard. And we were able to simply turn to God and ask, ask for forgiveness. And having done that, He provided all this for us and more. Doesn't get any better than that. To be able to simply turn by faith and ask. And God gave us everything. I know that with this many people, 
there's always some here, and we're so glad they're here, that haven't taken that step. So glad you're here if you haven't taken it. But God's giving you an opportunity right now. I mean, you want to be right with Him? You want to be a part of His family? You want to be clean from your sin? You want to know that your sin's fully paid? God's given you an opportunity. If you come to Him, if you will rely completely on Jesus' death on the cross as the only way, all that we've talked about and more becomes yours. All you've got to do is turn and ask. It's that simple. You want to be okay with God. You want God to be okay with you. You want to be in his family. Cleansed from your sin. And right before him, all you have to do is ask. We're going to give you that opportunity right now. I'm going to pray a prayer. If you express something like this to God right now in your own heart, he will come into your life and provide all that we've talked about. You don't need to pray it out loud. You just pray in your own heart. And I ask you if everyone would please bow. Let's pray. Just pray something like this. Father in heaven, we thank you for the offer of your son. the sacrifice that was paid for me. I'm a sinner, God. I know that. I know I need forgiveness. I know there's nothing I can do to fix that. And so what I'm relying completely on is Jesus' sacrifice for me. And based on that sacrifice, I ask you, God, please forgive me. Wash my sin away. Welcome me into your family. Thank you, God. With everybody's head still bowed and, and, and eyes still closed, if you prayed that prayer, I want to offer several things to you right now. If, if you prayed that prayer just now, I want to offer several things. First of all, I'd like to pray for you myself, and I promise I won't embarrass you anyway. But first, if you'll raise your hand just to let me know that you trusted him today, you prayed that prayer. No one's looking around. If you'll just raise your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Thanks. Just a minute, I'm going to pray for you. Thanks so much for doing that. I also want you to know that we have pastors who are ready to answer any questions you may have. And so one of the things I want to offer to you is too, in just a minute when we dismiss the service, you go back to this room we have, it's a, as you leave the auditorium, we'll be back in the left-hand side, what we call room one, and you can go back there and ask any question you might have of a pastor. We'd be glad to do that. Whether you prayed the prayer or not, we'd, maybe you're not at that point and you just have questions, we'd be glad to try to answer those questions for you. And then the third thing I want to offer to you is we have a booklet uh, that we've made up 
that you can go by room one and just pick up, or you can go by the information desk and get that. We'd be glad to have you have one of those. It just goes over some of what we talked about again today. But thanks so much. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you, God, for uh, those that responded uh, at, uh, today and just now in the last few minutes. Thank you, God, that they, were, they took this step of faith and they're trusting you. Thank you for forgiving them, for bringing them into your family. We thank you, God, for your goodness in, in, in welcoming them in. We ask, God, that they just grow in their faith. And for others, Father, who may be here who haven't taken that step yet, Father, that they would soon, they'd come to the realization of their need of you and they'd trust you. Thank you, God, for this incredible day. And uh, we just uh, praise you for your faithfulness and your goodness to us. We ask, God, that today we'd be faithful as we serve you throughout the day. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.